You're listening to Tech Talk Central. So this is 2017, Vicky Kolovo for Tech Talk Central, and I'm, we are back at Mobile World Congress, and we're actually starting once more the week with the podcast with three of our favorite people. Yes. <laughs> Helen Kieger, organizer of Swedish Beers, and mobile adver- she's a mobile advertising expert. Ilko Ilya, who's head of mobile at Digitus LBI. Welcome. And Rafe Blanford, senior mobile strategist at Digitus LBI also. So all of you, welcome, and thank you for being with us again. Thank you. Great to be here. Nice. So we're at this nice hotel. We changed the space this time, and there might be some noise, but... Uh, Don't dwell on it. I think you'll hear our voices are quite loud. So, okay, guys, let's dive into it. What's new? What's new in advertisement, in marketing? What should we expect at Mobile World Congress? So I'll let you just put it all out there. Well, I'll tell you what we shouldn't expect this year, it might be easier, is actually the uh, new handsets from... from, It terrible starts. <laughs> new Go handsets. On. New handsets from uh, yeah. manufacturers. There's not going to be that many big new handset man- handsets this year. What do you think, Rafe? Well, I think you're right. You're looking so at me as though you disagree <laughs> already. Samsung has announced that uh, they're not doing the S8 here, but I think there will be flagship announcements from LG and Huawei. You know, they're in sort of top five or six of the manufacturers. And then lots of the smaller ones. We've already seen something from BlackBerry. Yeah, yes, and I think uh, a lot of people are going to be interested to see HMD come back with the, the Nokia brand. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, it's a bit like MWC 10 years ago. But you're right, without the two big leaders, Samsung and Apple. But in one sense, I think handsets aren't really the point of MWC anymore. They've become a commodity. They're just kind of wallpaper. They're the background. So no one's that surprised that you know the biggest manufacturers want to get more attention for them so they do separate events there's so much else going on at MWC it's hard to not become part of the conversation um, and I think all the other things that orbit around phones you know the accessories IoT is one thing but also a lot of things actually completely divorced from phones and so when we think about automotive or smart cities or health they may have a tangential connection to handsets but actually that's where a lot of the attention activity in, in mobile is now, as well as all the things that run across the top of that, the content, the advertising, the services. It's way, it's way yeah. bigger than mobile this year. This it, year or has always been, isn't it? I think it, it's always been. The show historically was about handsets, but it's what people do on the handsets now that has taken over. And the stuff that we started doing on handsets, things like Siri... Uh, and Cortana and those kinds of services don't need a handset anymore Uh, and we're finding different ways to connect Uh, but it's using using a lot of similar thinking and technologies to the mobile environment which is why it's kind of latched on to to mobile world rather than web world if you like. That's right I think the, the thinking of it comes from mobile and I like to think of this as almost the great extension it, you know everything converged down onto the smartphone but now it's opening up again you know be it the smart home or the smart car or industrial iot there's a much broader canvas of things and objects across which which are connected to this network and that's all tied into 5g and machine to machine and and handsets are part of that but actually they're just one pillar of a multiple a multiple in an ecosystem or a landscape whichever way you choose to describe it and uh, mobile or the operators are the thing that at least in their mind, connects all of that together. I think MWC, because of its reach and scale, you know, four or five billion handsets in the world, uh, it has an unprecedented reach and impact on consumers and society as a result. And what we see at MWC is 
where that is now, but also where it's going to be in five years' time. Mm -hmm. I agree, and I think it's just a device, like any kind of device, like the computer, the car. So that takes us to the next question. I think the most important things right now is artificial intelligence, machine learning, and I, sh I know you have a lot to say about that. So let's talk about the essence behind all these devices. Well, last year, we didn't see a lot of artificial intelligence, even though it was behind the scenes driving a lot of these services. But when I was scanning through the companies exhibiting at this, this year's event, I can see a lot more of that AI stuff front and center, and people talking about it uh, and showcasing, how they'll showcase it, I'm not sure, uh, but they're showcasing what they're doing and how, how they're doing it. I think there's going to be a lot of fake AI this year. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of um, very normal, like uh, tree structured um, decision trees. Decision trees that you'd have to go through just to just to answer a very simple question, and people will tout that as AI. Well, they're already doing that. So Pizza Express has a chatbot to book a table. Yeah. Oh, it is so slow. <laughs> but, but you see, the thing is, you said it before. You can't show how deep it goes. No. Because it's not like a device, like it looks fancy, does this, whatever. You can't really show what AI does and how much work you put into it. So you can pull it off, something really like a chatbot. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, when you think about artificial intelligence, and there's lots of definitions you can carve, but machine learning is really, uh, as a result of, we've had trends before, which is immersion, uh, data, and automation. And that's the kind of the big picture of it. But what we're seeing now is what I would describe as the first stage of artificial intelligence, which is kind of narrow intelligence before you then get to general intelligence, which is can solve any problem, and super intelligence, which is uh, when people talk about um, right. it sort of AI becoming more intelligent than humans and being a runaway thing. We're nowhere near that yeah. yet. But this narrow intelligence in terms of solving particular problems and automating away responses. And a lot of that really is from machine learning, taking a big data set and then inferring particular insights from it. So I think the first place we're going to see that is actually in the running of the networks themselves. And so operators will be able to use this technology to be things like more energy efficient, when to turn spectrum on and off, uh, when to turn base stations on and off. And that's particularly important when you think the networks now are going through things like densification in urban areas with extra cell sites in response to busy periods or not. And that's really important actually for this next generation of networks because it's the only way you'll be able to run them in an energy and cost efficient manner. So that's the kind of quite interesting on that side. You can do a lot with customer data and the data running across networks. Then on the consumer side, you have that same narrow intelligence being applied in sort of virtual assistants. And we see uh, Cortana, we see Google, we see Siri. I think we'll see a little bit more of that in some of the manufacturers coming up with their own versions of that. Um, Samsung have made some acquisitions in that space. But equally, that can be applied to individual applications. And we saw the first signs of it last year with the likes of Huawei saying, we'll actually rearrange the icons in your launcher depending on how frequently you're using them. And most of the signals for that are just sort of a little bit of context, a little bit of previous behavior. If you can apply that crowd level, it becomes great. But you're, you're right, it's AI but actually it's not necessarily that much more than we've had before, so it's an evolution. So why are chatbots so rubbish? And why is the marketing industry so hung up on chatbots? Because it's new. Yeah. And they're, they're rubbish because it's new, and they're it's rubbish easy. because it's simply... The, all that's happening at the moment is you're filling out a form yeah. using sentences rather than yeah. just words, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it is. is. It's just form filling with a voice or... 
the, but the, the only thing with chatbots at the moment, they're using natural language processing, so you can be a little bit more flexible the, in the oh, entry. But nearly. That's why it's fake. No, nearly they're not, because Pizza Express booking is definitely not natural language. Yeah, you so, have to get the right but, words. But neither is Alexa. Right. Alexa, you have yeah. to actually write, say a command in a specific way for it to understand what you're saying. Uh, okay. To, to my but mind, there's almost like... It's a novelty like, also, because think about it, guys... Let's, let's, you're into advertising and marketing. You see, another, think about the novice person. So suddenly, they can communicate with things or people, or brands in a different way. So it's just a, it's a novelty. Uh, people are going to get no, bored of it no, in a year. It's, it's not the people. It's not. No. The, it's not the consumer that's got the problem with it. Yeah. It's actually it's the marketers that, yeah. that are yeah. really hung up on it, as opposed to consumers. I don't think consumers really care just yet. Mm -hmm. It will. It will take off when it takes off, if it takes off. Only if it makes their lives easier. That's the. That's yeah. the thing. So what so, do the brands see in it? I, I want this. What do brands? Why? It's gimmick. It's a gimmick. I, it, it, it is a gimmick and it is new, but I think conversational interfaces, of which chatbots are an example, are very powerful because they're a very human way to communicate with things and therefore it has lower friction. People have to think about it less. And as we sort of said, a lot of it is just form filling, but actually the ease of stepping through it one, one step at a time um, is better. I don't really see it as being really significant until you can build in some better natural language processing and some AI so that people are given a lot more flexibility about the questions they ask. And that's when it becomes interesting for customer support. But a lot of the stuff we're seeing now is literally just the equivalent of a, you know, a voice recognition system on a phone where you just step through a tree of decisions. That kind of ontological approach is, is not going to go anywhere. You really need to get to a much more, even if it's just a semantic approach, you get a much more powerful chatbot. But yeah, it, it's, it's no different from the press one for yes, two for no on your telephone. It, mm -hmm. it, it isn't. And at the moment, that's not interesting to me. But I do think as an interface, conversation interfaces have a lot of potential. And we're seeing that with the popularity of Alexa and voice. Um, and that has come on much faster than I expected it to. And I'm sure we're going to see more of that uh, so this week. That's a good point, Re Alexa, because... I've uh, friends who have Alexa are in a relationship with Alexa, and that's the other important point. You, rather than just being one touch point or even multiple touch point in the case of something like a mobile app, I think if you put it in a conversation interface, you have the ability to then have more of an uh, emotional connection, and you become an actor throughout someone's life. And that's why the brands are so interested because rather than being a very point-like relationship, it becomes something that exists on your eye. Now, the interesting thing is, I only think a couple of brands for each person will be able to reach that level. Uh, Alexa is clearly an example of that. But then how do brands integrate with that and get into the Alexa world? But Alexa, in my eyes, is just a conduit to other brands. It, it is in, in practical terms. you have terms. the relationship with Alexa. Exactly. With your servant. Yeah. 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 Okay. But in, I think that whole relationship thing is interesting with yeah. robots or a virtual voice or whatever it might be. I went to a really interesting play in London um, three weeks ago called Spillikin and it was a robot was in the cast and it was extraordinary. It was a story about uh, an inventor of robots and he had a degenerative disease so he created a robot for his wife to take his place as he was becoming more ill. Uh, and he eventually died and, and meanwhile she was suffering from dementia and it was the relationship between the two and how that changed and the, because he kind of downloaded all his memories to this particular robot so it, 
the robot could have those conversations and share those memories with the wife. And that was interesting to see that played out, how a robot and how AI and how that conversation and that history, because we'll have had a history with things like Alexa and Siri by the time we all get old, what that will mean uh, for care for the elderly and care for the lonely, uh, that, that kind of thing. The other interesting aspect about it was there was a discussion afterwards and the actors talked about their relationship with the robot as an actor and that they missed the robot when it wasn't around because it had facial expressions and responded. It looked like it was responding emotionally and those cues, even though it's clearly a robot, you can see it's a machine because it was nodding gently, the colour changes slightly in its face, it turns to look at you when you're speaking, all those very human aspects are built into it and it's so engaging. It's all the, it's all the new it's all the nuances that humans have right. and expect from other people like you're nodding at me now yeah. um, which a chatbot doesn't do uh, and being a continual actor in someone's life is is very powerful and I think that's something that sometimes gets missed when we talk about this because a lot of it's about automation and the hollowing out of jobs and how scary it is but actually the potential is great and I actually see it as like any other technology you know it is assistive it's you know acting as an agent you can delegate stuff to it and that then frees you up to think about and do other things and so while it will bring great change and I think at an accelerated pace um, that, that change is actually only to the good and, but that's why companies are interested in it because it does effectively represent a new canvas that they can have a relationship with people with it's or, is it, or is it just more efficient and therefore get rid of people? Surely at the moment it's just it's just a chatbot is uh, somebody in a call centre that isn't that can speak to five people at the same time rather than one person on the phone. There, there's definitely an element of that but I don't think that's different or to any other technology of efficiency yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah very true. So, so let's go on. What else? What else new? I'm going to see at uh, Mobile World Congress. What's new? Come on, guys. Well, you've got the spectacles, Illy. So I've got some Snap spectacles, Snapchat spectacles this year. So I'll be walking around the floor, um, taking videos of of the stands that I see and distributing them on Snapchat mainly. But you can actually use them to distribute on basically any channel. It's just a short 10 second video. Um, we were doing it on the way here. <laughs> And Any weird, weird reactions up only, to now? Only from Helen. <laughs> um, they are quite distinctive as glasses. So, so you're going to wear black glasses inside the venues so and walk around? Glasses. I wonder why they've actually put um, tinted lenses in them as opposed to just clear lenses. Um, but there is a very bright yellow, on these ones specifically, there are a very bright yellow ring around the camera. Uh, and every time you're videoing, a, like an LED does show up, so you, people know that you're videoing or know that something's going on, whether they know it's actual video or not. Um, but on the way here, I thought it was interesting that I'd taken like four videos, just of things that I saw that I wouldn't have done normally. And then when you connect it to your phone, either at the end of the day or, or during the day, it then will create a snap of your, of day. your day, basically. Um, it's quite nice. Okay. And I think it's part of this wider trend that we've seen around immersion of which virtual reality and augmented reality, which I'm sure will be, be big topics, tie into. And actually that ability to record things, which has been around for a while, but Snapchat spectacles um, are an example of, of that. We're also seeing a lot of uh, 360 camera and capture of that kind of content. But actually it's not particularly smartphone centric. That might be where you consume it. But a lot of that capture is happening elsewhere. 
uh, but it's really as a result of smartphones because the cost of all the components that goes into these things has come down so much because they've got the economies of scale and from smartphones. And you that's the biggest, yeah, that's the biggest change the smartphone industry have made on the human race is the fact that the the components inside smartphones, because there are so many of them now, and there are billions and billions of phones in the marketplace, the cost of the components has come so far down that you can now take individual components and create other things with them and the cost of making those other things is, is minuscule. Okay, please take off. I don't know what Helen said. I feel weird looking at you wearing them. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why are they weird? weird? You look funny, I want to laugh. So I don't think it's, yeah, you're it's not a good indoor. idea, please. Is it because of the glasses themselves or because it's got a little circular thing round and round and round? No, no, I think the it glasses like look weird. Six eyes. It's the yellow things in the corner. So it's purely like, the design rather than the fact that I'm taking a video. It's yeah. also that, that we're that in carnival good. season until yesterday. Somehow oh, no, it feels... carnival goes on to Wednesday. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, Helen. But it looks like he came dressed. So there you go. So I'm now videoing, being videoed. <laughs> meta. Um, meta video. <laughs> <laughs> I'll post it, I'll post it, up. it goes deep. It goes really deep. Um, okay. So... so with, with AR and VR, talking about glasses and headsets, that was all over um, MWC last year. Practically every stand had some kind of virtual reality thing going on. Uh, I was sceptical then. I'm probably just as sceptical now. What, what do the others think? It's, it's going to be big. <laughs> But that's what they said last year. Is no, it the year of VR? Not, we just don't know when it's going to be big. So are you, are you talking about the head-mounted displays or the industry as a whole? The industry as a whole. Ah, OK. So I do agree that it's been overhyped. And it's interesting that in terms of the sales of the high-end things, you're actually talking about 100,000 or so between things like the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift. And you had and you were saying the Oculus Rift has stepped back a bit in that's terms right. of retail. Yes. Well, it wasn't selling in retail channels, so retailers are delisting it or um, giving it less priority. What's the price? What's the price uh, point of that? About, well, it's sort of it's five, five yeah. £600, then you need a sort of €1,000, pound dollar PC to run it as well. Um, mm. I actually think it's sort of... It arrived almost ahead of its time. We're starting to see the catch-up. You know, Google Daydream is interesting because that's bringing the cost down but increasing the quality. But we're not quite at that point where price and quality is good enough that it becomes really interesting. And actually, virtual reality is really just a stepping stone to what I would call mixed reality. And that's come out from Microsoft's HoloLens and uh, Magic Leap. But until it gets down to a size where it's unobtrusive and comfortable to wear on your face, it's actually not easy to see it going mass market. VR is going to be big in gaming. It is big in gaming. We're going to see a lot more of it this year. It makes for a great demo on the stand. It is very immersive. And when you try it, you really do feel like you're there. I did the Ericsson demo last year where you got to drive a big dumper truck. Mm -hmm. And there's something that's really quite compelling about that. And for education, for health, I think it's got a lot of potential. But going you know, into that, that mass market, it's sort of mixed reality and HoloLens, give it five years then it's going to be interesting and actually it will start replacing monitors so it's interesting you talk to Magic Leap and they say in five years time there will be no computer monitor or anything in their office everyone will just be wearing one of their headsets and I can absolutely no no, no 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 it's hard enough when you walk around the office and everyone's in headphones let alone everyone's completely in another universe or another yeah. reality you, the, the, the biggest issue I find with virtual reality at the moment is that it's so solitary yeah. So I, there I, are some things taking place now that, that means you can share your solitary experience with another solitary person. 
but it's still really solitary. And it also makes makes you very vulnerable. Um, we might as well go back into cubicles. Yeah. So, <laughs> in the office space. I, so yes, I think it is going to be a while before the headset shrink down size where that problem of it being quite obtrusive goes away. But the social thing has already been fixed. It's interesting to see when Facebook announced that Hugo Barra was going to be taking over their VR efforts. He actually had a VR meeting with uh, Mark Zuckerberg to announce that they both appeared and they took a selfie of each other. And Facebook and actually Google Labs as well has been really pushing this idea of social VR. And I think there's something very powerful about that. And we talk about mobile as being the great connector and it absolutely was. You know, the fact you can pick up and call someone on the other side of the world has you know, changed within the last 20 years. You know, no more need to go through the operator dining codes. You can do that with video now as well and look at WhatsApp and all those over the top services. Just imagine how much more powerful that's going to be when actually you can help effectively teleport someone into the room with you. And yeah, it's early days yet, but I think that's going to be a really, really big thing. And that's what's going to change communication in the next five years. So I read an interesting blog post from Terence Eden in the last few days, and he was talking about a charity campaign in the high street where he lives, where the chuggers, for want of a better word, were uh, collecting money, I think it was UNICEF, but I, I can't remember exactly, but they were doing VR. But it was in the high street, you put the headset on and you were in a refugee camp situation, so you got to feel it firsthand. And Terence was saying in his blog post that that was a very powerful message. Uh, it really helped you understand what you were contributing to and, and why you should do that. But at the same time, you're in a high street, somebody's just put a headset on you where you can no longer see, you can no longer hear, except what's going on in your universe. And how vulnerable does that make you? So, you know, it's a, you know, it could be anybody putting this thing on your head and then anything could happen to you. So I think there is still a fear factor there. But it was really interesting to see that they were using this technique uh, for raising money and the headsets that they were using were relatively cheap headsets it wasn't the 500 pound type ones I could see the video it was very powerful but I agree with you on the vulnerability even in the office mm. it, you feel cut off yeah. and then you're sort of you know we watch our surrounding they, somehow that's got to be solved there are ways around that I mean HTC with the Vive actually has a camera on the front and can make real things appear in your VR environment I think that kind of especially the mixed reality gets really interesting but a lot of it it's just what you get used to and you know societal norms at the moment are, are not based around VR and people look weird and feel uncomfortable doing it but you'd say the same about talking to yourself in public with you know a virtual assistant or using a phone sort of 25 years ago so things I still don't change. do that I still feel okay. really awkward talking okay. on my phone in public. I'll add something new. That's because you're talking to a chatbot, not a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, how about cars? This year, I, I thought I was going to a car exhibition. I received so many PRs about seeing some car in the exhibition. And I was wondering, is this MWC as we know it? Is there a car exhibition all about car connectivity? So, opinions? I think cars are just big phones now. <laughs> they, they have a Wi-Fi connection in them. They give you a hell of a lot of data. They know your location. Um, it's it's becoming like an extension of your yeah. phone, really. So a phone you can sit in and move around in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's definitely a short-term thing about connected cars, which has come about because of EU and other governmental regulation, which says it has to have a SIM card and the ability to collect sensors and send that off. And that's one part of it. But also, 
the automotive industry is undergoing transformation and it knows in the next 10 years we're going to get towards autonomous vehicles, a lot more AI and actually you know, the car, the transport bit of it, that's just table stakes, that's entry. The experience that you have in the car becomes very interesting um, and the hybrid bit in between where we're talking to people about you know, what, who takes over, when does the autonomous thing happen. And actually some manufacturers are saying it's dangerous to actually have semi-hybrid like the Tesla autopilot because people basically behave irresponsibly and there's plenty of video evidence to suggest that. And so I think the reason they come here is because actually they can sort of benefit from um, this idea that mobile supports lots of verticals and automotive can get a lot of attention here, and it does, I mean, more so than they might do at some of the, the car shows, but also demonstrates that they're thinking about beyond that sort of transport experience. They're thinking about the much wider experience that will happen in the car. Okay, can, I'll ask a question. I'll dive a little bit towards what we talked at the beginning. What, I'm not... the kind of person that's scared if they stop my car that's been controlled by the police in order to check me. But I'm wondering about privacy, knowing where I am at every single moment um, with all these things. I, I'm worried about that. Okay, so what's your take on that and what do you think the industry thinks about it? Google already knows more about what I do, where I go and when I do it than I do. So I, I get reminders, do you want to add such and such to your timeline? It's like, God, I'd forgotten I'd even been at that place. And it takes... And it knows the places I've just walked past and just happened to look in the window for slight... So I changed my pace for, you know, 10 seconds and then moved on again. And it's on my timeline. Facebook call it a thumb stopper. They can sense when you're scrolling through the timeline, and it's not location based, it's not, not physically location, but you, they can sense when you scroll through a timeline and you stop scrolling momentarily to look at a post or, in their eyes, an ad, and they can use that as a notification of intent, mm -hmm. and then they'll marry that up with when you then visit a store that's related to the post that you looked at. There's, a, so there's, actually, there's actually an extension, I'm just going to put it in, this is interesting for the podcast, for Chrome, it's called Data Selfie, and they did it, it's open source, and you could, I was amazed, I put it on, and they see everything, it, it wasn't quite, supposedly I'm a Donald Trump supporter. So I don't yeah. know how good I've seen your Facebook page. Okay. You okay. okay. most definitely are. But it's, it's a good add-on. It'll give you an idea what Facebook does and sees. Yeah. yeah. So, Sorry. Well, as you said, the amount of data that is available to these companies is quite frankly scary when you think about it. But there is an inherent value exchange. I think the problem is most people aren't aware that they're entering that value exchange. They just see themselves getting stuff for free and they aren't aware how much data these companies hold. And it's only going to increase as we've got more sophisticated computers, more sensors in our pocket, and the ability to understand that data using kind of machine learning and all the big data things that get talked about. So for me, it's, it's definitely a concern. And I think there's a missing piece at the moment, and that's around trust. And there is no sort of utility way to do trust and to hand over data and be aware that people have your data and I think that's something that's going to be necessary in the future and it, you know just to sort of sideways twist if you look at something like blockchain and the approach they take with decentralization and the ledger and effectively you can see a great deal of transparency I think you're going to need trust to become a utility in the same way that connectivity has become a utility or water and electricity because that's the way that then people will be more willing to hand over the data because 
No, no, yeah, it's no question. Or less you, willing. Or less yeah. willing. But there's no question you get enormous value from having that data extracted. And, you know, knowing that you've been in a certain place and having stuff served up to you based on your attention data or whatever it happens to be. Everyone loves the fact that their Facebook feed or their Instagram feed is tailored to them. And that kind of hyper-personalization is a good thing. But is people it? need... I, I in, think so. In, gen, in general, it's a good thing. When it becomes way too specific and you don't see any Trump supporters in yeah. your timeline, yeah. um, it becomes a problem. So, so um, but what's it doing to our brains and rewiring them in very specific ways? Th- there's definitely a concern around that and the kind of the echo chamber argument that you only hear from you know, confirmation bias. Um, but at the same time, if that means I can understand a greater array of things and consume more information, because basically what it's doing is augmenting your ability to consume and understand information no, by it's... presenting the right stuff to you. Now, there's a great deal of concern over the algorithms that do that and control what you see. Don't, absolutely. But that's why I'm saying I think you need this trusting that can control that a little better. But the reality is, of course, most people don't want to bother with changing the configuration. They just use the default state. Uh, and that is a concern because it gives enormous power to either the companies or indeed the machines that control what you're seeing. And, and what that's happens, the thing that concerns me. What happens when the government buys that data, that consumer data? And that's why I want to see some kind of mechanic of trust that lets you control. Because ultimately, you should control your own data and you should be able to give it to a specific organization or a specific entity for a specific purpose. And if you want to do it as little as possible, you can, but you'll have to recognize you may get less back in that value exchange. But it's, it's interesting that you, you in, immediately asked about what happens if a government gets it hmm. and you're okay with Facebook and Google having it. Yeah, kind of. Isn't that weird? Wow. Yeah. So you, you trust Facebook more than you trust the UK government? Uh, and I and don't have to answer that question. I just no, think it's, it's really interesting it's, that, it's that, we're, about we're at what that they point. Can, it's about what they can do with it. I, I get what Facebook is doing Basically with that money. data. Uh, and it's an advertising exchange, and I'm uh, sort of okay with that. Uh, and it, I get the services that I want. But when governments, insurance companies, you know, mm. medical companies, those kinds of things where they can impact on your ability to get a job, to get insurance, to get healthcare, to dictate how you live your life, that's where I start to get really worried. Which is basically experience. Who do it anyway as well? It's, it's it's the it's the crossover between what you say in your personal life, yeah. which for most people Facebook has become a part of their personal life That's right. and their professional life and their sort of financial or life. If there's if there's way yeah. to that, because I, I I recently was applying for a mortgage. Um, my the, the credit card company that I uh, messed up on a direct debit, and I have a black mark against everything, which means my mortgage rate went up by one percent. Um, as soon as I got that black mark wiped off because it was actually a mistake, the mortgage rate went down by a percent. That I could, that I could. It's so fine. It's such a yeah. fine line now between yeah. what you can get and what you can't get. And if you if you have these black marks against your name, and if you have a black mark purely because you just say you don't like something on Facebook, mm-hmm. or you've you, you've not been to the gym this week, or or you're a friend of a friend of the wrong kind of person, you're a friend of a friend of the wrong, or, or you've had had five steaks this week, mm-hmm. and your healthcare insurance premium goes up. 
Um, it starts but, to get really dodgy. It starts to get really it, scary. It gets, it, it's it, it, sorry, it gets a little bit deeper. Remember, you did a post, Helen, about somebody called uh, John Keegan, was his name? Um, I think it was from you, or I saw somewhere else, okay. and you reminded me of you. I'm sorry about that. Well, he posted, he wrote an article where he showed what conservatives in America were seeing on Facebook yeah. and what liberals yeah, were seeing. That's right. So you could compare them yeah. next to each the other. Fake news thing. That shocked me. That no no it was yeah, whether it was fake, fake yeah, yeah it was, but it was just to feed what they were seeing so that shocked me and it was because I couldn't get prepare myself to talk with a person who believes different things he's not a bad person he just believes different that sort of drowned me out that there's nobody who believes something different to me and I don't get prepared to have the right arguments and so it makes me sleep away and that's that was my worry okay I can get the mortgage and all the other things but it's the deeper things about how we think so the uh, there's a British company called Cambridge Analytics who allegedly uh, was working on the Trump campaign and analysing data to and using the demographic data to do very specific targeting to to help uh, Trump get into power. But it, since they did their PR push on that, most of it has been debunked as smoke and mirrors as to how much they were actually able to drill down on the data and as to how much they were actually using it. So maybe we're worrying ahead of our time. Maybe this isn't a fear for today. I think, it, yeah, I think it could just simply be ahead of our time though. There's definitely a fear that it happens. I'm definitely not looking forward to the day when groups of people are made ineligible, inel yeah. ineligible to vote because of something they said on Facebook. Or you're not allowed to go to the US because of something you said on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, the scare is closer. I know you, you're expecting the question whether you go to America. I'm going to ask that. But I'll tell you something which is much closer to us in Greece. Turkey right now, they're trying the control freaks when it comes to social media. I do know. I actually got a threat message from Twitter because I tweeted something about the Turkey and the coup. And I got a threat message from Turkey. So it's much closer to us sometimes than you think. And you know Germany also decided to check social media accounts for refugees now to see who they are. So we think about it on the other side of the Atlantic. But my question is exactly, I asked you before we started, so what about our privacy and being scared? And how do you see, is that going to, Facebook and Twitter, is that going to scare people away from these social media platforms? Because right now I'm worried. I keep reading articles. How do I control this? I read fake accounts. Don't take your mobile when you go to the States. And what do you think around that? And how is it going to impact the whole industry? That's a big question, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, lots of questions in there. Uh, a, a big question for a Sunday morning. <laughs> so I, in terms of visiting the U.S., I'm much less inclined to visit the US while Trump settles into his role. Uh, I'm not overly keen on doing long distance travel anyway, and this is just another reason to not have to do it. And I don't want people prying into my private life if there's really no need for them to be prying into my private life. So you're standing at customs, the lovely customs officer, says to you, and now, Miss Keegan, can we please have your social media passwords and your phone? I wouldn't give them the passwords, but I would show them my account. I couldn't... But publicly? Yeah. I couldn't give them my passwords because I don't know what they are. 
but they're, you don't know what they are because they're kept in a password lock on your phone, yes, that's which right. is also available. So you know the password to that. So can we have that and therefore the passwords to all of your uh, <laughs> accounts? Yeah, they can take the software anyway. If they're going to take it, they're going to take it. But most most of my social media stuff is public, and there isn't anything that I've written on Facebook or Twitter or on my blog that, that I wouldn't say to someone's face, basically. But not everyone is is the same, and that doesn't just because that is my case doesn't mean people should be prying into it. Yeah, and so does does that mean that you? So without giving your password, that means you won't be let in the country. Are you willing to walk away? I think it would depend on my reason for being in the, the States country, and yeah. in the country in the first place and who was paying the bill. Uh, and I think that's right. I mean, for me, this no. comes... No. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> who's paying the bill, really? Yeah, if it was my money, I'd, I'd you... probably show the, the data. Oh, I see. I thought I thought you were going to say it the other way around. No. If somebody was, if you were there for work purposes and somebody was paying for you to go, yeah. then you would give up your data. Uh, no, the other way around. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it would it would depend. For, for me, it does come back to actually a lot of this problem comes from the accelerative effect of technology. It isn't anything that is particularly new. They've been able to get at your data mm. before, but data removes a lot of the friction. Just as it, and that's why technology is good for us in general. It takes away barriers and friction and lowers costs. But that applies just as much to the government and whichever other actors we're talking about as it does to us as individuals. And so for me, uh, I am greatly troubled by this because I think people aren't always aware of the consequences of what they're doing. And so for me, the important thing is for people to be aware of what they're giving up. And as I talked about, that value exchange, that trade-off. Uh, am, I, am I willing to do it? Um, yes, if I get to think about it and I'm the one that makes that decision. The trouble is most of this is quite blunt at the moment. Just give me all your passwords or access to your phone. That then gives an enormous amount of information. But when you then say, okay, I'm not going to give it or I'm going to take in a white phone, clearly for the security services, that's going to be more suspicious or uh, almost worse thing to do because that will probably get you noticed. And that, to me, feels bad. So I would like there to be a way of... Uh, it goes back to what I was saying about trust and that becoming utility that you should be able to grant access to a limited thing for a limited reason. And that framework just doesn't exist yet. And that's the bit that, that troubles me. Like Helen, I don't actually put anything out in public that I wouldn't be willing to say to someone's face or in public. But when you get into your phone, you think about things like your banking details mm -hmm. on there, your health yeah. records. That's the thing that concerns me. So it's very blunt force instruments at the moment. The reality is I'd probably go, oh, fair enough, I want to go into the country, therefore I'm willing to do it. But it's, it's fairly awful that it's got to that stage. It is. Vanadir, uh, is it a question? Well, I just wanted to add, and a question for this part of the conversation. We also have ramifications. Recently, a NASA scientist was forced to open his phone, which contained top secret and proprietary information. So let's say you're working for uh, not necessarily a government agency or Samsung or Apple, and on your phone you have information about a product, you've signed a million NDRs or whatever. Yeah. And on the one hand, you have to decide, am I going to go to jail if I don't give them the passwords? On the other hand, I'll be sued for the rest of my life if I do uh, give them access to proprietary information. And uh, Adjacent to that, what if the customs officer or whoever is getting the password sees its information and then sells it yeah. to the competition for a gazillion dollars? So there's add-ons to... So let's have a virtual reality meeting instead. Ooh. Yeah. So is it going to affect social media platforms? Do you think this will scare people away? 
It's don't don't nod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely it definitely will some people, but also um, it's just another barrier that a social media platform needs to work around. I, I remember when YouTube first started and they recommended you did not use your real name. Um, specifically do not use your real name for safety for safety reasons and now you specifically have to use your real name um, a, it's a completely different world now to it was 10 years ago Helen opinion on that is it going to affect advertisement of companies how they think around it I think the I think it will affect actual travel to the US and the decision to go to one country or another and how often you do that. In terms of using social media, I think we're addicted. I don't think it's going to reduce. We might find different channels, another company may crop up to be a new Facebook, a new Twitter, whatever it might be, uh, but we will still communicate. We are creatures who love to communicate. Yeah, I'm, I, I use wire a lot more now for instant messaging and, and communication rather than an open like iMessage channel or a, or a Facebook channel. It's hard to see there being widespread awareness that will actually change behaviour. And I also think there are technological solutions to it. There will be greater use of um, you know, uh, cryptographic uh, solutions and messaging. We've already seen them sort of come up with things like Telegram, for example. And I think particularly in the corporate environment, there will be this sense of probably data being needing to be protected. And there's already corporations who have a policy that says give up the data and we'll protect you. And, you know, how you do that, whether it's two-factor authentication or some other method, there's absolutely technological solutions to solve a lot of this. Um, and it'll end up being an arms race. And you, just as there was with all the revelations around Snowden and the NSA, actually what came out of that was, you know, human fallibility is what ultimately is the weakness in the system and will continue to be the case. But to, to me, I keep, keep saying it, but actually technology isn't good or bad on its own. It just enables people to behave in a way that's good or bad, and that, that human nature will continue to happen. The thing that's so concerning is it becomes so much more data and so much quicker that it can happen, and therefore the need for protection, and whether that comes from the individual, whether it comes from the government. It's interesting, we're seeing next year the European Data Protection um, uh, Directive come in, and that's actually, for companies, that's a big concern, because effectively you're going to have to ask for permission for every bit of data you want to use and for every possible use case and actually I don't think it's practical to enforce it's a bit like the cookie law we've had up until now where everyone got annoyed by those banners appearing on websites the same thing's going to happen there but that I, I think although it's an imperfect solution it will be dictated by on the one hand government regulation being prepared for this but actually governments are notoriously bad at keeping up with technology and future trends and then some smart people on the technology side building solutions and say it comes back to me for that trust thing I'm willing to give up my data but I want to be in control of how that happens and that's both the exact data and who's acting on it and how they're combining it with other data because actually the most powerful things come when you combine multiple sets of data together and so protection from that and as I say some kind of transparency around that and decentralization that so you have a much greater degree of control because ultimately that's what you have with physical objects you can choose who you give something to and what they use it for we need that same kind of thing in the digital realm okay let's go back to advertisement is there anything new in the tendencies we know all the all the stuff what kind of new advertisements or ways are we to expect surprise Nothing. me 
Nothing. I, I wish I could surprise you, but uh... it's really hard. We work for an advertising agency. I know. I'm <laughs> um, asking. That. It's it's basically more nuanced than that. We have more data at our at our fingertips. We have more ways to use that data. We have better context around which we can serve advertising. We have more um, surfaces on which to serve advertising. It should be way more personalised, much better for you, and much more relevant to you as a person. Okay, so I'm a client. Come to you, and what works, guys? Okay, so let's say I'm in health. Okay, I'll give you an example. I'm in health, um, and I want to sell some device that monitors something about your health, and I want to push it there, and um, I'm going to pay you a lot of money. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you exactly what would work. Okay. You come in and see us, we have a workshop, we'll charge you for that workshop, we'll tell you the answer. <laughs> Shoot! <laughs> Give me a sample. Just give me a sample. Uh, just to, That's to, like going into a restaurant and saying, can I eat some of this food for free and then I'll pay you later if I like it? <laughs> yeah, I should be able to do that. <laughs> Tell me that restaurant. I'm going. All right. So in terms of topics here, header bidding in programmatic is going to be interesting yeah. because that's basically making the auctions fairer and more efficient. So it's combining effectively multiple auctions together on the server side. So that will be a topic here at MWC. But then the bigger picture is actually how do we use data to do better targeting and personalization. But that's a story as old as advertising is. What I think that actually means now is companies need to have better control over their first-party data and getting that into a DMP obviously helps with that. But then the interesting thing is using third-party data and doing partnerships in order to be able to do better targeting. And actually, it's looking for the lookalikes or for signals that are related to what you're trying to do. So, you know, it could be, in the case of health, you're looking for a life event that might cause them to be interested in that particular thing. So, for example, children being born would then people suddenly become much more interested in baby tech. And that's the kind of event that you would want to attach your advertising to to make it more effective. Doing that is actually very difficult because, of course, there are laws around um, that usage of data, but also making it effective on a global scale. It's quite easy to do uh, on a small scale. So that's the thing that's going to be being talked about. And ultimately, that's where advertising is going, in short. Yeah, absolutely. Helen, please, what something new. <laughs> <laughs> no, in terms of anything new, I can't think of anything I'm expecting to see or have read about that is kind of new or exciting. Header bidding is, 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 is coming in and will, will be a big, make a difference, definitely. Okay. This year, more than last, absolutely. And if we're talking about a trend for a few years' time, thinking about how advertising works when you've got personal assistants or virtual assistants doing things for you, because they will take actions on your behalf. So for a commodity product like yeah. washing powder, when you say to it, buy me some washing powder, it will probably make the decision about which brand to buy because you may not have a brand preference. And so how does advertising or operate? Or you may have a brand preference. Or you may do, but it may be uh, you know, cost insensitive or it might be cost flexible. And so in that environment, how does advertising work when actually it's going to be a, almost a machine-to-machine -machine interaction? So advertising is going to look different. So we talk about new Isn't formats. that search that it becomes a search engine optimization But kind not, of not thing. something that you will, have, you will have specifically asked for. So, for example, you could say, I like brand X washing powder, but only if the price of brand Y washing powder is less than half the price of brand X. And therefore, it's, it's a, another decision tree. I can imagine there's going to be a chatbot, isn't there? There's going to be a chatbot for you to choose your washing oh, powder. It's like, can I be bothered? <laughs> no, exactly. But that's the whole point. A, an, uh, a 
something will make that decision on your behalf based on a set of rules, not that you have necessarily given it, but that it will it's deduce, it will deduce it, it from, will deduce from your previous it, it, action. It knows lots of context about you. And actually, in one sense, it's kind of like programmatic. You can almost see brands doing real-time bidding in order to, to sell you something. And ultimately, that comes down to being more, more efficient. And that's actually good for both the consumers and, in theory, the manufacturers who are smart enough to take that up. I think that's a few years away. I mean, the thing we're going to be talking about here is still, you know, how do you do advertising in a chatbot or in WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger? And, you know, it's those new formats. And too often advertising has been about applying the old formats to a new context. And yeah. we've had that problem with mobile, and it's still honestly not fixed that well. No. Um, and, you know, so we talk about a lot of these future things and the use of data. There's still lots of things to get right, just the basics. And often the problem that doesn't happen is because a lot of advertising is based around quite short-term goals or a short-term timeline. So when you're reporting on a month-to-month -month basis or a quarterly basis, there is no impetus to do longer-term investments around advertising that really works, including these data-enabled solutions I was talking about earlier. So that's a problem, I think, that still needs to be addressed because making the kind of investments to do this next generation of advertising, which will become almost one-to-one -one and therefore almost ceases to be advertising in the minds of the consumers, won't happen unless companies are willing to make those investments. And the way the market's set up and the ad tech stack being, relatively speaking, a black box is kind of set up against that happening, and I, I don't have have any golden bullet to solve that but I'm sure we'll be talking about that this week what I really want to see is advertisers spending time listening first and then advertising but, rather than advertising first and then listening to what you do but aren't they listening already on our phones they're not using it no I think he means yet. using logic then, you know, really listening. Okay, I got a question for you. Made me thought you were saying, I see a barrier between my online life and my other life, the, 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 the real life. Okay, so what I mean, okay, obviously you have a lot of international clients, but there are smaller clients that are working regionally. And I can see their brands being advertised on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever. But it, then I go out on the road and you've got all these Internet of Things brands that can connect somehow, you know, uh, big billboards or whatever. But then I'm anonymous. Nobody knows there's nothing for me out there when I'm driving or walking. Um, it's just a thought. Uh, do you have any opinions on that? I, I see it in the future, I think. I'm not in, into your profession, but I think I will see a connection. I expect that one day my online life will sort of spill off into my real life as I say it which is weird I didn't say it like that but yeah so there's, so there's two to, to answer that I actually don't see a difference between my online and my real life anymore talking to someone in person and talking to someone via a, 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 an instant message application to me I'm still talking to them so I, I, I see very um, fewer barriers between on and offline um, secondly I think you're just not noticing the fact that advertising in the real world as you put it is targeted at you you live in a specific area that specific area or that postcode has a type of person that lives in it mm -hmm. and advertising in that in that area is is advertising to people who live in that type of postcode mm -hmm. it may not be as specifically geared towards you and therefore you may not think it's relevant to you but it's absolutely is relevant you'll you'll absolutely get a different advert in mayfair when compared to stockwell that's true so, so there is, but it's just not personalised as yeah. it is so much on... And well, maybe that's the, the best type of advertising. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're the advertiser has decided what is relevant for you. Yeah. That's the thing. And even with online advertising, it's still the advertiser who has decided 
based on what they do or don't know about you that that is relevant for you and very little of it is based on what you as an individual feel is relevant for you there is a disconnect between those two uh, aspects absolutely and, and that kind of minority report style future that you're referring to is a while away and I'm not sure it will ever arrive because the the benefits of doing so are questionable. People don't go around with their Facebook ID tattooed on their forehead, so it's hard to, to pick up. But actually, facial recognition does mean retailers can recognise when someone walks back into a store. It doesn't even need that. It just needs the ID from your phone, the, the MAC address or something like that. So those things do happen in the sort of out of home or in the real world, as you put it. But actually, most of the time, you have to think about it in terms of audiences. When you're on your own device, you're an audience of one, and therefore you can target that. Most real-world solutions, like the out-of-home advertising, has to target a much bigger audience, which Yedoko was talking about. Where we will see it come a lot more, and we already are, is in kind of retail, when you have the kind of brick-and-click type solutions. So you can walk into a retailer, and they'll absolutely know about you, and they may therefore target the experience to you. But at the moment, there's relatively little digital technology, apart from a few high-end fashion stores, where the displays will change based on who's in there, and they will make assumptions uh, about you. But also, you see it in the service. And so there are a lot more companies now that do operate relatively seamlessly between online and offline. And we're seeing it from both the online world. Amazon's starting to open up real bookstores, for example. And also then Walmart, the other way around, trying to get into that space. Um, these two worlds have been somewhat divided and it's just kind of the nature of one is legacy and one is new, but they are starting to come together much more quickly now. And I, I'm seeing um, an interesting thing from Marks & Spencer's in the UK. When I visit my mum, we always shop at Marks & Spencer's and then by the time I've got home, there's a link on my phone from Google Rewards because it knows I've been to Marks & Spencer's and it asks me to answer a quick <laughs> survey and it gives me a list of shops or places I might have been. One of them will be Marks and Spencers, and it will ask me how was my experience today, and that will be being fed back to Marks and Spencers. I got six pence, ten pence, twenty pence, or whatever towards my Google Play account. Marks and Spencers gets live feedback on the experience in the store that day. I think that's really neat, and that it's not advertising, but it's good marketing and it's connecting those dots in a helpful way. So it's not in your face, it's not minority reports, um, but it's creating a better experience uh, for, for everybody, ultimately, because it's feeding back into Marks & Spence. But is, think, it getting, um, but, but is it getting an accurate um, image of you? You say you go to Marks & Spencer's with your mom. So yeah. maybe how influenced are those purchases with your mom versus if you would gone It's not on about own. the purchase, they're just asking. How was your experience in no, store I mean, today? Because it's a joint experience. For example, if they not always. I'm, I'm sometimes I go on my own. And I, I don't think that <laughs> You're matters. Allowed to shop on your I'm own. allowed to shop on my own. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm saying how skewered are the choices, or where you stand, or going into the future when this is going to be even more integrated. How I don't think it needs to be. It really be? Yeah. I don't think it needs to be. I don't think it, you want it to be either. No. Really? Right. No. <laughs> okay, yeah. guys, yeah. Uh, we got to wrap this up. It's been an hour. Um, wow. Thank you. Yeah, we can keep on doing this. So, yeah, so thank you very much again this year for being with us. Um, okay, one last thing. What you hope? Okay, Rafe, don't don't be like that. Just say. Uh, don't be scared. Just uh, let's say I'll ask you. you know, what, what do you well, want to see? Rafe, this year? Sorry, sorry. What was Rafe's prediction last year? I remember he made it. It came right. Didn't let's it? let's just let's just do a prediction. No, Something you're expecting. Please go crazy. 
uh, I'm expecting a little bit of fondness for retro. Um, so there are all sorts of rumours around what HMD are going to announce with right. the 3110. But actually, I think that's part of a wider trend that feature phones and this idea that um, you know people will have a second device that's just for calls and text. I think that will be sort of a sort of pervasive theme at MWC this year. Helen, I don't know what I'm excited about or think um, I want to see this year at the exhibition. Um, I'm expecting it to be bigger, brighter. Uh, busier it already feels busier and I'm fascinated what the internet of socks is going to look like <laughs> so I'm looking forward to this year we uh Digital CLBI have a lot of clients coming with us this year um we're sponsoring Swedish beers on Wednesday night uh, so if you're here you should here's come. the advertisement <laughs> section at the end I'll um, send you the bill <laughs> yeah and we'll send you the bill for the workshop <laughs> So we're sponsoring a few events. We've got dinners each night with clients. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking to people who are looking forward to in including mobile technology in their marketing and their service plans as, as clients and really making them understand how big this industry is because every year I, I've, been, I've been for the last like 12 odd years and every year I get really excited about how big it is, how bigger it's getting and what the future holds. And it, I just think it's an absolutely fantastic event. Okay, so it's promising. We'll see from tomorrow. So that was Helen Keegan, Iliko Ilia, and Rafe, or Rafe, I don't get that, Blanford. So what is it? Tell your name. It's Rafe Blanford. Okay, Rafe. So this was Vicky Kolovo and Venetek Eritsi and Yang Zirizopoulos were all here for Tech Talk Central. Thank you guys for being with us. Bye. You're listening to Tech Talk Central.